Hey guys, Zach and Nate here from Eternal Dirtles. We've really enjoyed making this podcast for you over the past few months and wanted to let you know that we're on Patreon. Yeah, so we're offering uh, some rewards for uh, for being one of our patrons. And uh, basically what we're doing is putting that money all back into the podcast just to make it a little bit better for you. Some of the things we're doing are you know, taking some, uh, some uh, continuing education classes about broadcasting and also uh, upgrading our equipment and stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, you can search for us by just searching Eternal Dirtles on Patreon or going to patreon.com slash Eternal Dirtles. And uh, every little bit just helps us produce more content for you. Cool. Thanks, guys. Hey, Nate. Hi, Zach. How are you doing tonight? It's going good. It's going good. So uh, I haven't been able to play in a while because of the Thanksgiving holiday, but I know that uh, you played some vintage again last week. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I popped there. into uh, the Comic Book Depot with uh, some, some Long Island City cats, uh, Roland, uh, Zohar, and Hank, and uh, we went to, uh, to play in a uh, – it was initially supposed to be a – Charity tournament um, for a guy who uh, lost his collection at Eternal Weekend uh, in a in a total freak accident. Someone broke into his car uh, that wasn't magic related. It was just regular thieves, and of course they ended up going to a magic store to try and sell these cards, and they got caught immediately. And then they found the cards. So um, it, it's a good story uh, because you know that it worked out for that guy. He the cards are safe in Ohio right now, and he's going to get them. Yeah, that's great. So that's that's pretty great. Um, but uh, yeah, so I got to play some vintage. Uh, uh, I'll give you a quick rundown of the tournament because that's that's probably the easiest way to do it. So um, in the first, I, I, oh, so I guess I should tell you what I played. I played uh, Steel City Vault. Uh, actually, I like to call it Apple City Vault. You just name it after the city that you're playing it in. Um, right. So so the deck just to give just to give everybody a quick heads up. Uh, it, it runs eleven lands. Uh, Seeds of Brass, Seed of Synod, Mana Confluence, Tillery Academy, uh, three creatures, uh, Goblin Welder, Inkwell Leviathan, uh, four Planeswalkers, Tezzer the Seeker, uh, Dak Faden, Jace the Mind Sculptor, and Sahili Rai. Um, and then you run a, a plethora of spells that uh, basically are there to uh, search your deck, counter your opponent's spells, and draw cards. And two Paradoxical Outcomes, we'll talk more about that card in a second. Uh, but ton of artifacts, but most of them uh, produce mana. Uh, aside from Memory Jar, uh, the Sensei's Divining Top, Voltaic Key, and Time Bolt. Uh, obviously, the deck being a Voltaic T- Key Time Bolt deck, and uh, then and that's pretty much it. It's just it's just a run of the mill, you know, vintage combo deck. You try and get out your uh, your key and Time Bolt, and win the game by taking all the turns. Uh, my win conditions were pretty much Sahili Rai most of the weekend, actually. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I really think Sahili. I, I love to see that card do well. I just feel it, like it was it was actually really good, and it was a card that my opponents couldn't uh, ignore because if I got to seven, I won. Right, that's I could right. just get yeah, three artifacts from my deck. You know, a, a Seed of Synod or a Mox or whatever, and the Vault and Key, and then that's game. 
So it, I guess Vault was, Key Inkwell Leviathan. Yeah, Vault Key Inkwell <laughs> Leviathan works too. I mean, it, it, in in the worst case scenario where I don't have mana, it gets me the mana I need to activate the the vault. So you know, it does it does a lot of work, and uh, it, it was it was just good all around as as a card that just drew me a card. You know, uh, let me or sorry, scribe me a card every turn, and occasionally I was able to use it to uh, copy a uh, memory jar or something like that, and uh, you know, value. So that was wow. Cool. That sounds so good. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, so uh, in the first round, I played against uh, Steve, who was actually the guy who lost his deck, uh, and he was on Merfolk. So this was the guy we were holding the tournament for, and um, I, I'm I'm a little ashamed to say I didn't know that beforehand, but I trounced the poor fella uh, on, <laughs> on a on a Merfolk deck that was you know he was running a subpar list because he didn't have all of his cards. Um, but I was able to beat him on like turn three both times. He, I had turn one kills against him both times, but he was able to counter his way out of it and then just followed it up with, uh, you know, another co- part of the combo later on. Yeah. Um, the real, the real match to talk about was was uh, round two, and uh, so I ended up playing, uh, I believe, Joe Brennan uh, from Eternal Weekend. It might have been Joe Joe Braggard. I'm not positive, but uh, the list looks like Joe Brennan's list, so I'm going to assume it was Joe Brennan. Uh, and I'm, I'm sh- I let him know that I was going to be talking about this, so I, I hope he gets a chance okay. to listen in. Uh, so uh, game one, I uh, I won. Uh, just, you know, Vault Key, no big deal. Um, game two, he got me. In game three, I mulled to six, and I had one uh, mox in my hand and just couldn't keep it. So I shuffled everything back in, and I mulled to five. And I wasn't really happy with my hand. I had a, a mox opal, uh, a force of will, a misdirection, a tinker, and I forget what the fourth card was, another blue card. Um and I, I wasn't particularly happy with the hand, but I was like, well, he's he's on, you know, uh, Monastery Mentor deck. He's got recalls. Maybe I can, you know, misdirect a recall and counter his counter magic and get, you know, get back into the game. And that is exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> ra- get, so I scried a Inkwell Leviathan to the top, to the bottom of my deck, uh, passed my first turn, and he took his first turn. He played a land. I I drew, and I of course I drew a uh, ancestral recall, which was useless because I didn't even have uh, you know any mana to play it. So I passed my turn again. He uh, ends my turn by casting Mystical Tutor, and I'm like, please, 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 please get a recall. He did. He put it on top of his deck. He untaps. He casts recall. I misdirect it. He uh, force of wills my misdirection. I force of will his force of will. I draw three cards. And I draw into uh, two more artifacts that I needed to power my uh, Mox Opal, and the game eventually becomes mine pretty quickly after that. It ended with Tezzera and, and uh, Time Volt. But uh, at that point, there were a few people watching on the side, and it was, it was pretty ridiculous. Um, he, took it, he took it super well. He was just like, I can't even be mad about that. That was ridicu- a ridiculous play. A total soul read on my part, I suppose. Yeah, plus, like, what are you going to go to? At least you got Force of Will. <laughs> yeah, I was like, screw it. Like, I'm going to get Force of Will and Misdirection. I might as well just keep those and see what happens. I, I had already been like, okay, I'm probably going to lose this match. Um, so I pulled that at, right out of my butt. Um, next round, I played a Bug Control List, which was pretty cool. It was, uh, you know, it had uh, Baleful Strixes and uh, what's it called? Uh, Leovold. 
Um, yeah. Leovold was super good against my deck. Um, yeah, very imagine. hard to beat. Um, I did get. Uh, I lost in three games, but that was a that was a pretty intense one. I lost to Nolrod uh, in in the next in the two games I lost. Uh, the fourth round, I played another uh, mentor deck, uh, and I lost to Stony Silence. Both both the games I lost there. Um, and yeah. in the f- fifth round, I uh, scooped m- to my opponent because I was paired up, and I figured uh, he had a better chance of making top eight than I did. But he made top nine, so, you know, what are you going to do? Well, it's interesting uh, that you didn't have to play against Shops, <laughs> which is cool. No, I didn't have to play um, against Shops at all, which was pretty amazing. Or, you amazing know, Eldrazi or whatever, some sort of colorless monstrosity. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing. I went up against uh, two, if not three, like, total ringers in the tournament, too, though. Yeah. Uh, so that so maybe I'd have been happier with somebody on a deck that was worse against me, but maybe was a worse pilot. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it was it was um, tough. How many people did you guys get? Five this was uh, twenty eight. Twenty eight people. Yeah, it's nice. So it was, it was a pretty good good sized crowd. Uh, the comic book depot did a really good job organizing the event, uh, and uh, you know it was it looked like a total success uh, from my end. This tournament ran well and. Uh, they ended up splitting the top eight, and uh, we all went home early. Hank Hank made top eight, so that was pretty cool. And uh, you cool. know, we drove we drove on home from there. And uh, I think I was home by like seven o'clock, which was a uh, you know pretty nice day. Yeah, jeez, <laughs> that is pretty early yeah. for a uh, all day tournament like that. Well, cool. So uh, paradoxical outcome is oh my a gosh, fair paradoxical card. outcome is the the most ridiculous magic card ever. Um, so every time I cast it, I immediately won the game afterwards because I just return all these moxes to my hand and then draw a bunch of cards. I was I was basically telling people this is a four mana, uh, what's it called a uh, time spiral. Like I'm I'm drawing X cards and untapping X land basically for with this thing, and uh, you know land is in moxes. Yeah. And uh, every time I did it, it just ended the game like either that turn or the next. Well, uh, yeah, that's uh, it, it's interesting to see. I wonder if that's like a way to break through. And it's funny because you know you mentioned playing against Leovold. I mean, that card spiked up pretty high right before Eternal Weekend. I think people thought it was going to make a big impact, um, but you know, it's hard when there's not a lot of people playing these big blue draw decks. Yeah. With lots of with lots of card drawing, um, but you know, outcome. You know, it, it proved its metal a little bit at Eternal Weekend, and you know, you found another like, yet another home for it here, um, for yeah, outside sure, the yeah. Mentor and Storm decks. So it's, it's funny because it's a card that, like, I definitely don't think that this card isn't going to be restricted for very long, right? So if you're going to get in and play that card, put it in there. Make sure you take advantage of it while you can if you're going to play Vintage. Um, I definitely don't think that they're going to let this card run rampant for too long. Um, but uh, it it's. A deck, it's a card that you have to build your deck around to make it work. So it works really great with storm decks, with um, you know, and, and with uh, a deck like mine that's trying to leverage a lot of artifact mana. Um, so it, it's not totally busted in that like any deck, like you know, it's not ancestral recall, but it's pretty darn good. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those cards. Well, in the decks that use it as well, where it's like. If you can if you can resolve one early and just start chaining them, yeah, it's so brutal that it's impossible to come back from. But there's a lot of weapons to fight it, like just Null Rod and Stony Silence, mm-hmm. you know, like you mentioned, and also uh, like then having that additional angle of having Leovold, um, 
you know, and, and sort of a bug control deck. Yeah. In the format, um, you think? How do you think it compares to Gush? Like, so, is it well, better than Gush? Or? I was actually going to compare it to. It's better than Gush in a deck that can use Gush. My deck can't. I was actually yeah. going to compare this card to uh, a card that I also can't use in my deck, Treasure Cruise. Right? My deck doesn't put stuff in the graveyard. I'm not casting instants and sorceries. I can't do the do the. Uh, um, I won't say dredge, not dredge. Uh, the delve. Uh, delve thing. Uh, so those cards aren't that great for me, but like this card kind of fills that hole, um, that other decks get to play with, uh, you know, dig and, uh, and treasure cruise. And that, that's where it feels like to me is like one of those style cards that just like, once you cast it, um, it fuels the next one, you know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, if you can return a mana vault, like a tapped mana vault and a mox, you yeah. can probably just cast the next one <laughs> and return I, your tap mana vault in your mox again. I can't lie. When I put it into the deck, I thought it was return a permanent. So I was like, woo, Teleron Academy, right back in my hand. It is non-land permanence. So, yeah. Um, and non-token permanence, I think, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you can't just make a bunch of tokens. Yeah. No, well, no, I think, that's it's, just cool. non-land. I think, I think that's... it's just non-land, actually. I don't think it's non-token. Um, yeah. I might my computer be just died or I didn't I look it up. I incorrect on that. But uh, the e- either way, I mean – just the the sheer amount of cards that you can draw off off of this card is is pretty bonkers, and in the deck that wants to do that, like mine, um, it's it's just an insane card. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for Paradoxical Outcome as as like an up and coming card. If they don't uh, restrict it anytime soon, there's no reason why uh, a deck like mine shouldn't be uh, making top eights. Um, Good. I love those big blue decks. We get to see them come back a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about Vintage. There's just so much, so many angles to fight from that, like, almost any deck that, uh, you know, is, is semi-competitive can become pet- competitive in, in the right meta. Right. Oh. Cool. So, um, I, was, I was on an airplane uh, last night, listened to a few podcasts, uh, some, of the other, some of our Legacy podcast peers, um, Legacy Breakfast did a Maverick deck tech, the... Uh, Tusk Talk out of Atlanta was talking about Eternal Weekend, Vintage, and Legacy. So um, it was cool. That's how I sort of caught up on things. But you had mentioned to me something that I had not heard, which was uh, that, you know, there's a little bit of chatter going around just about how some of the prices in Legacy are going down. Yeah. Um, actually, it was this This was a topic that um, Hank had, uh, Hank and Zohar had uh pushed to me uh when we were driving to the to the tournament i had had a, a like two or three cups of coffee before we got in the car and so i was super talkative and yeah. and uh you know everyone noticed so uh uh anyhow one of the things they were saying is like you know the podcast is that you know this is this is something we should uh we should delve into and talk about a little bit and so you know we d- i did a little bit of research and uh and, to, and today uh you did as well and you know we kind of come back with our findings on that yeah, and I think that it, in a way it's interesting. Like, a, you know, since I moved to Utah, seeing the impact of reprints on the format, right? Like, you know, I didn't even really realize, and maybe didn't even fully comprehend, um, because I, I one didn't wasn't ready to buy a bunch of new cards mm-hmm. over the summer, having just bought a house, um, and two, just like wasn't necessarily interested in playing those decks. But the, the way that some of these cards that were pretty expensive, like Show and Tell, Sneak Attack, um, Natural Order, and Tomb had, you know, they're, they're like $12, $13 cards now. 
Yeah. That's something you could pick up if you've got if you are if you're on a legacy budget. You know, you're talking about fifty dollars for a playset, you know, if you if you play your cards right. Where those these cards it's basically the price of a playset where they had been but for a single card before. Yeah. Is I mean, that what even, they were sort of uh you know, you look at like even the stuff from uh, Eternal Masters that was like big ticket items, Caracas is down to like almost uh forty bucks now. Which is pretty pretty insane because that was a card that was big time hard hard to come by for a very long time. Yeah, it's like fifty dollars on a fifty dollars to like thirty six dollars right now, depending on where you're buying it from. So that's that's a pretty good uh, price drop from the hundred dollars you had to spend just to play Caracas in a deck before this. Right, and you know, there's not a lot of there weren't a lot of one Caracas decks no. that were doing doing well. I mean, I, I had one. I've had one for a while that I picked up, but it's so beat up. I love it because it's so beat up, and it's like a Legends Caracas. Yeah. Um, and it was traded, someone had traded it to me when uh, it was banned in EDH. And he's like, well, I only play EDH, so I have no use for this. You know, I'll give it away for something for a, a pretty easy price, right? Um, and that's the only reason I had it. Then it spiked up, and I used to be, and I lent it to someone uh once and i was like oh my god i just lent out this card i'm never gonna get again if this person just like runs out the door with it yeah um no they didn't and i wasn't implying that that was gonna happen but uh i i, I had forgotten how, how high it had gotten yeah i think that um you know it's interesting because a lot we, there's still these other bottlenecks i mean number one is obviously going to be the dual lands mm-hmm. they're still maintaining a pretty high price point um we've talked about the red black reanimator deck Yep, that has sort of come into come into its own, and that means you're seeing Badlands creep up a little yeah. bit. It's sort of a bummer that that's that's what happens when a deck gets good. Is that um, it's not that more people get to play it; it's that the cards that make that deck accessible become unaccessible, which is sort of a bummer, right? Yeah, but on the other hand, like everything else becoming that much more accessible, like in like in Tombs, it would be an example where. Yeah. You know that would have been 120 to 150 dollars maybe to pick up a set, and then um, you know now you're getting those for like half that price. So it's maybe about the same amount as it would have cost originally when you when you factor in the uh, Badlands tax. But you know, it's 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 still like it's it's good in other ways, right? Of course, you know? yeah. I mean, it's 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 tough. So there's two. There's like a couple different things that that. Uh, uh, what what I had been reading talk about one was uh, the uh, quiet speculation article that we we went over uh, that I believe was called Magic Monopoly uh, yeah. or something to that to that extent and uh, that has to do with uh, scarcity um, in the market and then and then prices going up right and then people deciding that they don't want to spend money that their investment that they've spent on this you know my dual lands per se uh go up to a certain amount and i decide i don't want to play magic anymore if my dual lands are worth uh two thousand dollars right so i sell my dual lands and several other people in the legacy uh community do the same thing right uh then those prices begin to to come down to you know to lower than they are currently um and that's because less people are playing the format because it wasn't worth it to us to stay in the market, right? But who's but but then who's buying these cards though? Are that's they, true, like, right? So you yeah. have to worry about who's buying these cards. So um, 
the the only thing I can say is like certain people are getting out faster than others, right? And then you've got dealers that don't that buy at X dollars and it drops under X dollars too quickly, and they don't want to lose their lose money on their uh, on their investment, right? So that's that's the only way that that works is like, you know, I go to sell my my two thousand dollar dual land for fifteen hundred dollars, and you know, half a year from now that, that no one wants to buy it for $1,500 because it's insane. Right. So, uh, a year and a half from now they're, they're worth $900. And the guy who bought mine, you know, the store that bought my dual lands is like, well, crap, I don't really want to sell these until they go back up. And that creates a scarcity, um, sort of in a way that like, there's nothing out there for people to play with and no one's actually selling them because they, they hoard them for that high price. And the market stays like kind of stagnant for a while and then just drops out completely because no one no one can no one that was playing legacy is and no one that wants to play legacy can. Um, um and yeah, then, I think you know Yeah. I just I just feel like that's a little bit of a worst case scenario. Definitely, definitely. Uh, with, especially with legacy, like vintage is a little different. I would say that it's possible that vintage is there um because the the prices are so astronomical, yeah. um, and there and there's so much less of them. I mean, right now, on Star City, uh, their lowest graded underground C, a revised, you know, moderately played one. They still want two hundred fifty dollars for it. Yeah, so we're safe. And right yeah, and it, it's like that's not to say that everyone's underground C is worth two hundred fifty dollars to whoever. That's what you could get for it. You know, if you walked out on the street today, but. It shows that they're not panicking, you know, and like this, this is a company that has been accused of a lot in the, in the MTG market. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and the, like, so the, like the pump and dump as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, so I'll be, I'll be worried when they really start dumping. Yeah. But, uh, even then, like, I think that are you getting, the question is people are selling out. It's because, you know, what, what's the enjoyment you're getting on these cards. Right. Yeah, I, I mean that's like, the huge part is that if you want to play, you know, you want to play Magic in a way that makes you feel like you're playing the game, right? Like I don't like to play, you know, Red Deck wins in Standard because that's not how I like to play Magic, right? Like I, um, I was explaining this to you before about about uh, uh, how I play Modern. Like I could play the top tier decks in Modern, but I think I'd rather play like Gifts Ungiven. Um, because I, I just like that deck. I like that style of play and, and the format allows for me to do that sometimes. So that's, that's, that's fun for me. Well, that's the thing with legacy too. It's like, yeah, I mean, I'm playing these, I'm playing some $5 weeklies, but I don't really want to necessarily buy a standard deck, figure out standard and play and spend my whole Saturday at a PPTQ. You know, I'm getting to play four rounds a week, Tuesday night, low key. Right. And then the occasional, you know, grand prix. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, you know, it's, 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 it's people, the things are worth what people are willing to pay for them, you know? Um, but it's also worth like, what, what, what value are you getting out of it? And if you're enjoying yourself, I don't think you have to, and you have the opportunity to play. I don't really think you have to fear, you know, a 10% drop in value over the course of months. No, know? I don't I don't think so either. Um the the one area that this is sort of a win on is the 
the the actual pump and dump people, the Craig Berries and whatnot. Um, yeah. So if you look at uh, Lion's Eye Diamond, there was that buyout that happened. Uh, I I don't know. It was our third or fourth podcast that, that yeah, we so, talked yeah, about, about four that. months ago. Um, and so there was that whole whole scheme of like he was like everybody buy all the reserve list cards. We're gonna make we're gonna make millions of dollars, and that blew up in that dude's face pretty terribly because, um, you know, call that guy a villain or not. Uh, I, I personally say villain, uh, but that that's besides the point. Uh, you can buy Lion's Eye Diamonds for $100 right now, like, pretty easily. He bought them for more than $100 a piece. Um, yeah. So that's that's good. That's 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 a win for the good guys uh, because that means that when people do that pump and dump thing, that they're getting dumped on uh, instead of instead of the people who want to play those decks. Yeah, for a little while, those cards go up in, up in price. But again, because if no one's going to play play with those cards they're going to eventually drop back down and especially if no one's going to buy them at that price so that's that's the one thing i should say is never buy into the hype um, yeah <laughs> well sometimes you know you're going to buy a card and it's going to go down and that's life right yeah, of sometimes you're going to buy a card low and it's going to go up as well that's but i just i feel like we spend so much time in this game talking about that and i just I, you know what other hobby do people expect to even break even on with their with their quote unquote investment? Sure. Right? Like I, mean, I have a friend who whoever friend who races drones, like he's got like a whole workshop full of goodies, you know, and he's got like goggles that let him see what the drone sees. Like that's all good. That's that. And every time the technology upgrades, he buys something new, right? Yeah. And he's crashing these things into trees and then you know putting them back together and ordering more parts. I mean, it, I'm sure it adds up, but like he's not—he's not thinking like, oh, and then I could sell everything in my workshop for, you know, what I paid for it. <laughs> or know? I'm gonna win the drone pro tour, right? Like that's you know, and I'll just take well, that would be, a purse of like well, that's, forty thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, he probably is. He, it's probably a nice purse, you know, for sure. these things because. But that's not the—that's not necessarily the point. I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, you know, we're we're obsessive in this hobby over like not being you know ripped off by it and it's like look you know every hobby comes with the risk that you're going to just end up holding the bag you know if sure, you yeah. just get out of it and then you realize it's nothing i mean it's happened with a lot of different kinds of collectibles and it's happened with a lot of, with things that depreciate like um you know console video games or computers you know those things you never get value out of you know I sp you know you spend like a thousand dollars on a computer, and you have it for four years. You're not getting a thousand dollars back. No, but you so, got four years of use out of it. Well, the thing the thing that's different that that makes magic different than those hobbies, right? Is is um, they sell you on this dream, uh, and it's a real dream. The the like pro tour dream or the competitive tournament dream is a real thing, and it is a game that you're playing against other people. So the idea of competition. Is uh is huge, you know. That's that's a big part of of the culture of magic is is being able to glean some extra value out of the thing that you bought in terms of winning something, right? Right. So there's that, but then there's also the financial aspect of the game because it's it's competitive. Um, so I think m too many people strive for uh going infinite, as it were, over just being able to afford the hobby. And the problem with everyone trying to go infinite is that their infinity and 
like infinite infinity doesn't exist in this game. You can't have everyone go infinite. Some people right. are going to have to lose. Some value is going to be lost. And the sooner you realize that sometimes you're going to be the one losing value. And this is this this speaks to more than just people trying to get value for their cards. This speaks to the to the salty guy at the magic tournament that like believes he should have won this this round against that scrub. You know, the sooner you understand that you can't always get value, the the happier you're going to be as a magic player, I think. Right. You know, I I and I used to play poker as like a semi-pro. Like I had a summer where um, you know, it was between some uh some school stuff and didn't wasn't able to get a job and I was just playing poker. This is back when you could play online easily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you have to realize that there's different motivations out there. Like, you know, some if you're some there are some people who are like, I've got this amount of money, I'm happy to lose it, right? Yep. And then there's other people like me <laughs> who are like, All right, well, I'm you know, I'm trying to grind out a win rate per hour here, right? And, you know, I was able to do it sometimes and some days I would lose a big amount. You just got to, you know, you come back and you, but like it, it was, it would have been impossible to do it without the people who are there to you need just the have a good time. Of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. You need, you need, you need the, the whales as, as they call it in, in poker. You need those people that are out there that are specifically out there to have fun that are just all about being in the game. Right. So that's, and that's in definitely magic, part of the game. In Magic, there's a stigma associated with with that. I mean, this mostly relates to standard, where you know people will people will don't ever want to admit that they held on to something until rotation, right? Yeah. Somehow, somehow everybody has a story about how they traded stuff before rotation, and it's funny because if you think about standard, that's like that is the dream. But if your whole point is that like I'm going to stop playing it seriously six months before every rotation. So I can get maximum value out of your cards. Like you're never going to make the other dream. You're going to make the dream of never losing value potentially. But, you know, I mean, right before, um, I want to say, I guess it must've been Innistrad rotated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, someone was looking for, and I was getting out of playing standard, you know, specifically was, I was, someone was looking for three Falcon wrath aristocrats at the time. They were like somewhere between 15 and 20 bucks. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, I've got those, I'm, you know what, I'm not, I'm never going to play them again because I'm not gonna be able to play standard in the next month. And, uh, so if you want them, I'll trade them with you. So he hands me his binder and I find the only thing he has that I want that's in his binder is a Liliana the veil. And I'm like, I'll do all three for this Liliana. Like, and he's, and the guy, you know, to his credit was like, uh, because he knew that Liliana was at this point already a modern staple, mm-hmm. you know? And was a like was being played in Legacy. Like the card was good, whereas Falconrath Aristocrat was just the top end for the zombie deck that was the best deck going into that rotation, right? Yeah. But he's like, yeah, sure. Was whatever. this me? I Did these you? Cards. I feel like this happened <laughs> this to me. This was us. <laughs> was it you? No. This was the deck I was playing at the time. No, it was that other. It was. It was. It was another guy. I loved that zombie deck. Like I really did myself love yeah. that zombie deck. But I knew I wasn't going to play standard again after this rotation. Like I just knew I was going to have time for it. Right? No, I don't think it was you. I, I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, you would recognize him from Brooklyn. Um, but uh, but yeah. So it's like he knew he was he knew he was going to lose value, but it was more important to him to win. 
And, you know, whatever. That was what he wanted to do. It doesn't necessarily make him a sucker. Well, also, you, know? you got to, you know, as, as a Magic player, you have to think about it like this, too. Um, that those three cards that were, say, probably at the time worth about the exact same amount as Liliana were, were more likely to win him, um, ma- like, you know, FNMs than the Liliana was to win him at the time. No one was doing really modern tournaments, right? So we just knew it was good in modern, but like Twenty Sided Store wasn't even running modern tournaments at that time. Um, so where would we play it at a at a Pro Tour qualifier? And that's about it. So really, he was getting better value by getting rid of a card that he couldn't use in any other format but modern because Liliana didn't see much play in in uh, what's called in uh, standard. standard at the time. So really, he he was getting good value there because he was. Probably able to take that deck 4-0 a couple of times. It was a very good deck, uh, and I sort of sound like Donald Trump when I say that. But it was a, <laughs> it was a very good deck. Um, he probably went 4-0 a couple of times and made his value back. Um, and if you can do that in the short term, is take a card that's that's being played in another format, trade it for cards in a lower format, and get value out of those cards by winning tournaments with them. That's really not that bad. Yeah, and I mean, like that guy hits an IQ and like uh, like a PPTQ before rotation, and just like what top eights one of them, he's probably getting the value in store of credit course. plus yeah. potentially an IQ invite, you know. Yeah, and he found someone who's willing to make a deal with him, you know. So I just think that uh, I'm just saying that like I feel like we spend so much time worrying about losing value, and it, there's a lot of anxiety with legacy, especially because. The cards are so expensive, and I don't want to cheapen that. You know, some people have spent more money than me, and I came in sort of towards the top here. I didn't, you know, come in at the very top, but, you know, if I had bought show and tells, uh, you know, two years ago for $75 each, you know, they got reprinted another 15 bucks. Yeah, uh, the one but thing. But if I had if I'd played the show and tell deck for two years, Maybe I got $240 worth of value out of them. Yeah, I think that's how you have to look at it is like, time, you know, the amount of time you have a card versus the value is is also important. You know, like looking at, you know, oh, I bought my Tarmogoyce for $150. That's that's crap. But you played them for like two and a half years before they dropped down to $100. You got your value out of those cards for sure, you know. Um, I think that uh, that people don't really recognize that they just only worry about the you know the what the price is now and how much it dropped and how much the you know ah oh, man I spent too much on this thing and I now I'm down you know uh, for that particular scenario I'm down two hundred dollars you know like that's that's yeah. really not how you should be thinking about it. I mean I, w- I went to twenty sided store the night before uh, the Eternal Extravaganza and just like held my breath and bought a Jace the Mind Sculpt during a Misty Rainforest because I was just like, I need these cards for this deck and I'm going to do it before I can think better of it. And then I top four the tournament yeah. and won 10 dual lands. <laughs> so pretty good, you know, right. That's a pretty I mean, that's good not going to happen for too. everybody. It's not, it's not going to happen for everybody, but you only need it to happen once, you know, if, if, assuming the prize support is there. I think with legacy, um, the, uh, it's not quite as, there's not as much, of a floor as vintage mm-hmm. vintage like just because power is so very rare and the arabian nights cards are so very rare you know yeah um like you just there's just so many dual lands you know and people by now know to take care of them and that they're currency in a way yeah 
And as they dip and more people find the format accessible, they, people also want to play a very powerful tournament. I mean, you can read a lot about right now how people don't like playing standard. Yeah, I mean, there is, that, is, there is that exit that Brian DeMars wrote about about standard on Channel Fireball, which is it's a good read. Um, that the, and basically what he says is, you know, like it just isn't his flavor. You know, like that's not how he wants to play Magic, and it's that's that resonates with a lot of with a lot of modern and uh, legacy players. Uh, it's just not how we want to play Magic. It's just like f- super fair, very like linear Magic. The Gathering is it doesn't feel like Magic to a lot of us. Right, and I don't think it's necessarily an age thing either. I mean, you see younger people getting into Legacy and Modern all the time. You know, sometimes, and also part of it is you don't really form an attraction to your deck like you do in the non-rotating formats. You're not tweaking something over the course of months. Yeah. I mean, the the best standard decks are found the night before whatever Pro Tour. <laughs> not the night before, but ostensibly the night before. Yeah. But they're, they're holed up for weeks with their proxy cards, these teams, and... You know, that's it. And then the next set comes out and things get better or worse. I just was, I forget what I was, I was reading an article and uh, it was talking about a card that I had forgotten was still in, oh, um, Westvale Abbey. Yeah. yeah. I don't, and then it's just some land from Saddles over Innistrad, which is only, uh, what, three sets ago? Yeah. Uh, I had thought that, I, I, you could have told me that card rotated and I would have believed you, but the card came like when it was in the deck that it fit in was so good that it was played all the time. And then it went away completely for, I guess like the last couple sets that card with that deck wasn't good. And now it's the, the, the article was like why Westville Abbey is coming back. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I forgot this card even existed, <laughs> but it was in every, it was in every standard deck. And yeah. I don't even follow standard that much, but just from like being around stores, you would see, people playing this card yeah so it's, it's it's definitely a card to play in standard right now that's for sure yeah but the, yeah and like my point is being like you know it, it's like entire lists get dropped you know but yeah. people still people in standard entire lists will get dropped at the drop of a hat someone will switch people will switch decks but in legacy there's always someone showing up with enchantress right yeah like you're gonna you're gonna go to your weekly and you're gonna say there's enchantress guy and we know we're talking about the same guy pour one out for adam, <laughs> like, pour one out for adam pin man yeah yeah it's like <laughs> shout out to adam pin i don't want to embarrass him on the cast but i'm sure he won't be um but like you always know he's playing enchantress and you know that you can lose to it sometimes and so you play uh harmonic convergence in your sideboard yep um i have another i, I know another guy from new jersey who just like yeah i play enchantress every chance i get <laughs> It's a Grand Prix. I'm playing Enchantress. Um, it's a Star City. That's what I'm doing. And look I want to play at, at the high uh, level. Ski with Pox, man. Like, there's a guy who just will not get off Pox. You know? Yeah, and, and he does no, well it, with it. Yeah. It's just there's different motivations for playing Legacy. And I think, and a lot of that, I think, revolves around the mystique of the power, power level of the interactions. With Standard, it's more about. I'm grinding to achieve some sort of professional recognition. But with legacy, it's like, I want to do this thing in this game and you know, I'll always remember the time I did it. Yeah. Well, standard has like two, two kind of different motivations, right? The first one is I'm playing in my first magic tournament with a deck that's constructed, right? Like that's like a lot of people's intro to the, to the game. And the second one is I am a pro level magic player and I have to play this format. 
It's not I'm a pro-level player and I want to play this format. It's I have to. You have no choice. This is what you're playing on the Pro Tour. Like, you must learn this format. So that's what keeps that format relevant. Right. And it, But, you know, what people are saying is that you, they're not seeing these new players come in. Like, the game isn't resonating the same way with Constructed because they're get, they're seeing that, like, you know, the company is, like, open about we're not putting artif- ways to kill artifacts in this set that's, like, all artifacts. And that probably feels good, for, but it doesn't have the same sort of long-term, like, strategic, you know, it doesn't tickle you the same way, right? Yeah. Like, if you had to play around Naturalize and Standard, you'd feel a lot different than no one ever has Naturalize, I'm just going to jam the Smuggler's Copter, yep. you know? And there's no fear. And the fear is part of what makes the game fun for people, especially in Constructed, where you're trying to you're trying to prove that, you're, that you can find the edges, right? Yeah. I mean, going off on a small tangent, I think one of the main things that changed Standard in our lifetime was uh, the lack of hosers. You know, you don't have the color hosers and stuff like that. You don't have Red Elemental Blast or, like, you know, uh, Tsunami, stuff like that, that, like, really made people play the game much differently. And, like, also the mana bases are just terrible. You know, you never, you don't have the options that you, you used to have. Um, and the the card quality, obviously, in other formats is continually getting better. Well, in Standard, it gets less and less powerful, it seems like. And you're just not doing things that, that feel like, you know, you're a powerful wizard. And I think uh, uh, um, well, people coming out of that format look at Modern, look at Legacy, and they're like, oh, man, this is just so much better than, than Standard. And then they realize immediately once they see it's non-rotating that, like, oh, I don't think that standard's really where I want to be anymore. And that happens a lot. Like I constantly have these talks with, with, you know, kids, guys that are in their twenties or whatever that are like, you know, they're preaching, they're preaching that, that, uh, that constant thing that, you know, it's to the choir really. They're just like, you know, I just realized that like standard was such bad value because I, you know, stuff, blah, blah. And it's, that is kind of a constant, uh, thing that people kind of figure out and then just jump away from standard kind of forever. Yep. I think that, uh, that's, it's funny cause you mentioned the, the lack of holders. That wasn't another article. I think it, I, remember, I can't remember what site it was on, but it was someone saying like, bring color hosers back to standard. And, you know, some people think they're very unfun, like getting choked never feels good. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, there was there was a point where it's like yeah but like it makes the game for some people it makes the game more fun to have have that and I was gonna say I was gonna broach that as a topic for the podcast and it's funny because we're a legacy podcast but I, we're, we we talk about standard more than I think other legacy podcasts do because I I I, I look at what's happening in standard and I think how does this affect legacy right yeah that means there is there is no when something is you can sort of just tell by what wizards does right. That if something's happening in Legacy, there might not be anything coming through that door to fix it. And this meta shift is going to be for real, right? So, like, take Eldrazi, for example. Of course. You know, the Eldrazi came in with this, like, huge, um, you know, with a, with a bang, right? But they they never printed a, like, you know, destroy all Eldrazi or something like yeah. that. Like, a real hoser for that deck. The best you get um, is Ceremonious Rejection. Yeah, the best thing we got was Ceremonies Rejection. Which is, which is a color hoser in a way, but, like, I don't know. Not, that card's not, really not good enough for want. Legacy. No, not really like, what you want. 
And it's not good enough against the, the legacy version of this deck that plays Chalice of the Wind and one. Like, yeah. So there was nothing coming through that door to fix it, right? And you just see how Wizards design philosophy works. And if you're thinking like, okay, I've got this, there's a, there, I have a problem in legacy. There isn't a card that fixes it now. But I might never see a card like that get printed. Yeah. Um, and to their credit, I mean, they have outlets. They have Conspiracy and Commander, right? They can do things. And, you know, we've seen, for example, like Sanctum Prelate and Recruiter of the Guard. That's where you got to look to find your, your legacy yeah. answers. But it's not coming through the standard sets. Like Recruiter of the Guard is an important card for legacy. It's it's good for death and taxes, and it's good for Allurin. Um, and, uh, I mean... That means that that's a, that's that's a positive thing, obviously. But those sets are not as um, frequent, and uh, you know, it's not a guaranteed thing. So it's funny to see, like, it, you know, you think about it, like if something really shakes up, like you know, the Delve cards did, right? You know, mm-hmm. there was nothing coming through that door to stop Delve. Like, no, we just up. knew that we had to wait three months <laughs> so that they do a ban. Like we, that's literally what happened is people just waited it out or they were like, well, I'll just play with these until they tell me I'm not allowed to, right? which is, which is not, you know, it doesn't feel good, especially when there's a a Grand Prix right around the corner and the, the card that they print completely invalidates your deck and there's just no way to fix it. We're talking about Grand Prix New Jersey with Treasure Cruise, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you had 4,000 people in there and you probably had 2,000 people playing for Treasure Cruise. And I bet, yeah. I bet like 500 of those people had probably never even played Legacy before and were like either, one, let's do the value to- part of this tournament and just get in. And two, they're like, I'll just jam these Steam Vents into my, into my modern deck and throw in these Treasure Cruises and boom, I'm playing Legacy uh, Magic. You know, basically I'm playing Vintage against all your other Legacy decks. You know, right. like... You know, people... Magic players, I mean, they have a reputation about complaining, and people complain. People complain about legacy and modern and standard and everything. I, I understand all that. But recently, I'm just like reading what people are saying about standard. I'm just like, you know, I hope that Wizards is listening, and I hope that they start to think about bringing some things back to the game, you know, that are that were around when the game became the phenomenon that it is, you know. Like, you had to play against Prison growing up, you know? You had to play against Counter Spells. You had to play against Lightning Bolt. Yeah, you had to play against decks that weren't, weren't quote-unquote, fun, were different. Like, now, if you beat somebody by milling them out, it's, one, rare in Standard. Two, you're, it's seen as, like, a bad thing for the format, you know? Yeah, They're like, right, exactly. oh, that's not a fun way for you to win. I'm like, the only thing that you guys should be worrying about is creating an environment of uh, of cards that makes the game work uh you know make it fun for sure but you don't define you don't get to define fun for us you know that's that's what we do ourselves yeah i think that i remember uh our you know tony loman showing me a deck list this was during con's standard and people were people were saying that like oh it was better when it was con standard and I remember him showing me this deck list, and it was like, I'm playing this deck list at, uh, at like a PPT or something this weekend. That I looked at it, it was, it was literally like 30 creatures, 5 planeswalkers, and 25 lands. Like, there wasn't a spell in it. And I'm like, well, what do you do if they like kill your creature? He's like, well, let's play another one. And it's like, I've got like, like Deathmiss Raptor, and we got the other thing back anyway. I'm like, 
yeah, I guess that's what you're doing. Like, it's almost like the other person. It's funny because they say that they don't want these like one sided games, but it's really it's almost like you're ignoring what's going on when it, when, the, when you're building decks like that and you're just topping off at Ugin and like, all right, I got my Ugin first. Everyone, you know, I win, yeah. <laughs> you know, and sometimes, you know, it sucks when you get stormed out on turn one. It sucks when you get belchered. It sucks in modern when, you know, they just have like they just infect infect you. Right. But, uh, you know, it's not always like that because there's there's ways out. There's safety valves and and uh, standard is like all safety valves. But then you just end up with like these impenetrable board states that I don't think are fun. And I can't imagine people having fun playing them. Which is interesting. But yeah. I think, and I think that's what people are saying. Like, you know, we're just, re- you just keep reaching. These games are long and grindy. and But it's not like you're, it's not long and grindy because you're thinking about it. It's like, what's coming off the top of my deck? Yeah. What's I mean, off the top even of deck? if you look at the current, the like last Pro Tour, you know, that, that should have been an interesting match, a control deck versus a control deck. And I found it pretty one-sided and boring, unfortunately. And it just—it was just because the cards felt so vanilla. Yeah. You know, it didn't feel like people were doing anything aside from timing their spells properly, which you would think would be more interesting than it, than it was to watch, but it was very boring to me. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, <laughs> we sort of strayed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we definitely strayed off from, from the <laughs> finance talk into, into talk about standard. Uh, but the point being is just like, I don't think the legacy cards are dropping as because of, there's a lack of interest in the format. Really, I think it's that they've been reprinted, and when the real when the real core reserve list cards start dropping, then then we should worry. But until then, I think we should enjoy the fact that you know if you always wanted to play show and tell, no better time than now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I definitely was super happy to to get in at uh, eighty dollars for for show and tells. That's that felt like a total steal to me. Yeah. So. Well, we've got Grand Prix Louisville. I, I just registered today, so it's and it's thirty six days. I got a countdown. Um, oh man! So I guess we'll have a couple podcasts before the before the end of the year. We can talk about all the stuff we're testing. Yeah, I for think the Grand Prix. I think next week I'm going to try Miracle of Science. Uh, next week is in tomorrow at uh, at yeah. my local. Yeah, you got me to use. Uh, you got me to try that Bant Deathblade deck with the Stifles. It doesn't have a basic land in it, which just gives me the willies. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna see. Like Stifle seems really sweet in some of the other in some of the other times in ways that I would lose with Bant. Like Stifle seems sort of like the missing link. So yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, I think that's it, right? Yep. Cool. About Forty minutes there. So have a good night, Zach. Yeah. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Where does he get those wonderful toys?